What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. And it is I, Mike Milner, your host. So today, I'm going to talk about metabolic adaptations. So I had a client, actually this was not a client, this was just somebody who was in our Facebook group, which... By the way, if you're not in there, you should probably join. I will post the link in the show notes. But anyway, um, this person had commented that she, we were actually sharing like diet horror stories. And so, you know, if you guys know my story, I have a kind of dark history with diets, to put it lightly, and um, have done some very extreme and restrictive protocols. Um, It led me to, the point where I am today, where I am trying to help people overcome and avoid all the same mistakes that I made. And in doing so, kind of owning that who you are as a person is the most important thing when it comes to dietary adherence. So rather than trying to follow somebody else's rules, that we should be kind of creating our own in coming up with our lifetime solution, our forever plan um, to really feel like you never actually have to diet again. So having said that, this person was sharing a story and she was probably the most extreme case that I had ever heard um, up there, at least top five. She was doing, I think, as low as 200 calories a day. And some days she was completely fasting um, and got to the point where she obviously could not sustain it. She would have some binge episodes and it was just... Obviously, you can imagine uh, not a way to live life, and there were some other you know symptoms that she was experiencing, like her hair falling out, um, losing her period, feeling miserable, depression, um, a lot of side effects that come with severe calorie restriction over a long period of time and so she has finally gotten to the point where her calories are higher, but I still wouldn't consider them you know, super high. Like I think she mentioned that she was able to build up, and this was over years, um, to, to get the courage to get her calories up to around 1,500, 1,600, somewhere in that range. And um, she's struggling with what she says is the last 10 pounds. So I know a lot of you can relate to that. I was in that phase forever where I thought that I always had the last 10 pounds to lose. Like Every time I set a goal and hit it, it was like, oh, 10 more pounds. Like that was my number. I was like, always 10 more pounds, 10 more pounds. So anyway, you know, in her mind, she has, is struggling with the last 10 pounds and she doesn't want to go back to that dark place that she came from and rightfully so, but she's kind of stuck because she doesn't know what to do. Uh, she doesn't want to drop her calories any lower and I agree with that decision. However, she is afraid of increasing her intake. And that's something that you know we see all the time. The idea of a, re- a reverse diet is scary. The idea of potentially, she said, you know, am I going to gain weight? And I quite frankly said, you might. And that's the truth. When we increase our calories and when we reverse diet, some people will gain weight. Some people will maintain. And then we have some hyper responders who will actually lose weight. Uh, and that is, I, th- I know a lot of people like to celebrate and like, post all their clients who are eating more and getting leaner, like the hyper responders are the minority. So I think that sometimes it gets overly glorified in our industry. Um, But there are three possible outcomes when you reverse diet. And basically, when we talk about reverse dieting, 
we're just talking about, you know, gradually increasing calories to find maintenance over time. And um, the advantages of that are we're trying to just restore homeostasis. We're trying to repair any sort of metabolic adaptations that have occurred, restore hormonal balance, um, get you feeling better, maybe shift focus so that we're, we're trying to perform better in the gym. We're trying to monitor biofeedback like better sleep, better mood, better energy throughout the day, less hunger, less cravings, those sort of things. So I'm not talking about reverse diets today, but I just wanted to set that um, as kind of the preface as to why I thought it was important because, um, you know, she, this person was, uh, you know, very hesitant to increase intake. And on the other hand, she was very aware that her body wasn't functioning the way that it should based off of her past dieting history. And she wanted a little bit of help understanding how some people can eat what would seemingly be a deficit but gain weight or at least not lose. Like in her mind, you know, this 1500 calorie mark or whatever it was um, should not be her maintenance. And, and I agree, it should not be. So I'm going to run through what metabolic adaptation is to hopefully help set that frame um, so that you guys can understand where that happens. Like how does it happen where you have somebody who could even be uh, overweight or obese and they're seemingly eating a low number of calories but not losing. So when we look at metabolic adaptation, we have to understand that our bodies are built for one thing and that is to survive. So each attempt at dieting or when we restrict at some in some way, shape, or form, it's going to trigger a self-preservation response. Now, the response is going to, you know, the, the extremity of that response is going to depend on some key factors, which would be how extreme is your diet or restriction. So in this case, uh, you know, this woman was down to like 200 calories a day. That is like the most extreme. Uh, but any sort of, you know, restriction, even if it's just a, you know, a uh, moderate calorie deficit or, um, you know, anywhere in that kind of realm, but the, the actual response that your body takes is going to be dependent on how extreme the diet or the restriction is. It's also going to be dependent on the longevity of the diet. So how long are you in a calorie deficit? And the frequency of diet attempts. So how many times have you tried to diet in your life? So there are things that we can do to minimize or mitigate the effects of those defense mechanisms from dieting. And that's kind of like what I'm trying to get that point across here. But I do want to talk about the specific adaptations that occur. So when we have a state of constant energy restriction, which is basically dieting, we will see that our body tries to basically thwart our dieting efforts by reducing total daily energy expenditure. So our metabolic rate is going to decrease. Now, if you think about this from a survival standpoint, why would that be the case? Well, we evolved in an environment of food scarcity. Now, if, food's, if food was scarce and resources were scarce, we don't want to be burning off a whole bunch of energy while there's not a lot of food coming in. So when our bodies recognized an absence of energy, it responded by slowing down the energy outside of that equation. It makes sense. We don't want to be burning as much if we don't have as much fuel readily available. So when we look at our metabolic rate, we have our basal metabolic rate, which is essentially 
the energy required to quote unquote keep the lights on at rest. Basically, life sustaining functions will make up your BMR. So that's a, a huge percentage of your total daily energy expenditure, the amount of calories you burn on a daily basis. Um, there's a bunch of different equations that you can use to find out like what your BMR should be based off of like lean body mass and activity level and all these other data points. But when we look at predicted versus actual BMR in chronic dieters, it's much lower than it should be. So if you remember your first attempt at dieting, it was probably pretty easy. Like the initial days and weeks, you didn't have a long history of dieting at that point, and therefore your body probably responded pretty favorably in the beginning. I remember when I did my first diet, it was literally like weight was melting off me. Now I gained it all back, but um, the point is that my my body was responding because I didn't have a history of dieting at, at that point. And if you remember what happened to you after that, you probably found it increasingly difficult to continue the same rate of weight loss that you were achieving in the beginning. And this was your body adapting to the calorie deficit you were imposing. So most research will say that your BMR will drop anywhere around uh, 15% below the predicted BMR on average. However, in extreme cases, it can be much worse than that. Um, so what we, what we see that attributed to is a reduction in lean mass, um, and fat mass as a result of dieting. So in other words, you know, you have lean tissue on your body that's metabolically active tissue. It requires a lot of energy to maintain it, which is one of the reasons why building muscle is so important. Um, fat mass is also metabolically active, however, to a much lesser degree, but the reduction of lean mass and fat mass through dieting means less energy requirements to carry your new body weight. So that's not enough of an explanation um, to account for the reduction in metabolic rate that we see with dieting, especially in you know chronic dieters. But um, you know, there's been some studies like uh, I'm sure you've seen the uh, study that came out about the Biggest Loser contestants, where uh, there was a follow-up study. They had a 20% reduction in metabolic rate that was still present many years after the show. So um, those are extreme cases. But we also have to factor in the reduction in non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT, which is basically any movement that occurs outside of formal exercise, like fidgeting, what I'm doing right now, talking on a podcast, um, walking, tapping, standing, pacing, you know, all these things are considered NEAT. Um, and it's the most variable component of total daily energy expenditure, and it has a strong correlation with being leaner. So typically, the leaner, typically leaner individuals will have a larger percentage of calorie burned, of calories burned from NEAT. So it makes up a larger percentage of their total daily energy expenditure. Um, so when we see people who are dieting and reducing their intake, uh, imposing a calorie deficit we see a metabolic adaptation occur as a self-preservation mechanism, which is an involuntary reduction in NEAT. So almost every study will show that this is subconscious, that we're not aware of it. And so even with you know, wearing uh, fitness trackers and step counters and all this stuff, we believe that, oh, well, if I just keep hitting my 10,000 steps, right, I'm 10,000 every day, even when I'm dieting, that we're going to overcome that adaptation, which 
it can help, but it's not going to account for it because it's subconscious. It's we're just going to move less. Our bodies are very smart. We're not going to fidget as much. We're not going to move as much. Even if we're hitting the same number of steps, it's not go- it, it may help a little bit, but it's not going to account for that reduction. So your body will compensate. It will find other ways to compensate. Um, you'll expend less energy for other tasks. You'll subconscious, subconsciously fidget, fidget less. So research suggests that metabolic adaptation of reduced NEAT can lower total daily energy expenditure by up to 400 calories a day. So, you know, that's, that's pretty legit. I mean, that's not insignificant. Um, so that's why, you know, we have to factor these things in when we're talking about repairing. Um, when we're talking about metabolic adaptation, we have to understand the different components. And so the next area is with specific exercise. Um, I'm going to talk about this more in terms of cardio because that seems to be the most traditional form. I mean, I am still pretty surprised that we haven't completely shifted the tide here. Like cardio and dieting, they seem to go hand in hand for some reason. Um, That's the most traditional form of dieting. It's decreased calories and increased cardio. Uh, It's something that produces a very short-term result but is arguably the least effective long-term strategy. So the amount of calories that you burn during exercise will actually decrease when you're, when you're dieting. I don't care what the treadmill that you were running on says. I don't care what your fitness tracker says or your heart rate monitor, anything like that. You are burning less calories than you think during exercise, especially when you are dieting. Um, so there's another part to the equation as well, which is that the more cardio you do, the more efficient your body gets at doing cardio. In other words, you require less energy to perform the same task. So it's not exactly a recipe for success when dieting. And I want to be clear that I'm not like team no cardio, but like there are health benefits to doing cardiovascular activity. All I'm saying is that it's a highly ineffective long-term strategy for fat loss. Okay. So understand the difference there. Um, So we also have to talk about hormonal adaptations and this could probably be a whole separate episode if we really wanted to get into the weeds, but there is really no shortage of hormonal adaptations that occur as a part of the body's self-preservation system and as a result of energy restriction. So when we look at, first of all, leptin, which is a hormone responsible for satiety signaling, um, it's going to be suppressed more when dieting, whereas Ghrelin, which is our hunger hormone, is going to be elevated. So it makes sense. You know, if you are working with a coach, hopefully they're tracking your biofeedback and you might notice that when you're dieting, hunger goes up, cravings go up, your body is trying to restore homeostasis. Um, So it leads to being hungrier when dieting, making satiety more difficult to achieve. Um, There are some other hormones that you know, and peptides that actually contribute to ho- hunger and satiety signals that um, they're all impacted by a calorie deficit. Um, then, if we look at the thyroid, which is basically the command center of the metabolism, it's also it's like the the metabolic thermostat. It's also going to be impacted by caloric restriction. So, dieting has been shown to reduce the output of thyroid hormone T3 and increase the output. Output, God, I can't speak today, of thyroid stimulating hormone, which will actually reduce metabolic rate. Um, there's also an impact on the thyroid through cortisol pr- 
production when dieting. So um, cortisol has been shown to increase during caloric restriction, which makes sense because you're imposing a stress on the body, cortisol being a stress response hormone. Um, it's going to reduce the conversion of the inactive thyroid hormone T4 to the active thyroid hormone T3. Um, it can also impair the active thyroid hormone by increasing a binding protein that occupies the receptor. So that's just a way of saying that cortisol, chronic, chronically elevated cortisol, which occurs through caloric restriction, will decrease the amount of T4 that's converted to T3 and will make the T3 that you do have less readily available. So not exactly an ideal situation. Uh, then when we look at insulin, which is often referred to as the hormone, the storage hormone, uh, will be decreased during caloric restriction and insulin sensitivity will be increased. And I know that that can be a positive thing, right? You've heard insulin sensitivity is a good thing and it is in, in the right context. However, this is also part of the self-preservation mechanism that creates weight regain. So if we end up in a situation where our fat cells are more insulin sensitive. And we have to remember that insulin sensitivity is site specific. So you can actually have fat cells that are insulin sensitive and muscle cells that are insulin resistant or vice versa. Like that's the ideal scenario is having muscle cells that are insulin sensitive and fat cells that are insulin resistant. So when we have fat cells that are more insulin sensitive through the dieting process, they will more easily store any excess in energy. So if we think about it, when we have these hormonal adaptations that occur, increased hunger, decreased satiety, and it makes overfeeding more likely, and now our storage mechanism is more efficient. So that's why you might feel like, man, when I had this binge episode or I was dieting and then all of a sudden I, I overate one day and it felt like I was a sponge and everything was just sticking to me and I was gaining fat so rapidly, it may have actually been that way. Um, you know, Research shows that when you increase calories above maintenance after dieting, your body preferentially stores it as fat. Um, adipose tissue is also affected by dieting. It will contribute to the hormonal signaling and the metabolic adaptations that occur, which is because adipose tissue is a hormonally active tissue. It will secrete its own hormones to signal to the hypothalamus, which is the command center of our brain, that nutrients are scarce and thus energy expenditure is lowered appetite is increased and the propensity for storage is heightened. So it's pretty fascinating stuff. The uh, Most of the research will suggest that excessive overfeeding during the post-diet period can result in an increased number of fat cells. You've actually increased how many fat cells are in your body, which helps to explain why seemingly it gets more and more difficult to lose fat as you continue to diet and regain that weight. Uh, so more fat cells would cause the body to defend a higher body fat set point, which would make future fat loss attempts more difficult. So this hopefully this really hammers home the point that sustainability is so important, that yo-yo dieting and those restricted binge cycles are so damaging. Now we're just talking about this from a very physiological perspective. We're not even talking about the psychological damage that occurs. Again, I just wanted to explain some of the mechanisms of hormonal, of a uh, metabolic adaptation so you can understand why 
we talk about periodizing your nutrition, why we talk about reverse dieting, why we talk about not dieting, and why the periods of you know structured, planned calorie restrictions have to be carefully done based off of the individual while paying attention to your biofeedback. Like this is why we are so passionate. I am so passionate. My team is so passionate about individualized coaching because in my opinion, there's no other way. There's too much at risk when it comes to physiological damage, psychological damage, and there is a better way, and it honestly does not have to be that complicated. If we just understand all of the different variables that make you who you are, and we lean into those things, then we can come up with a properly periodized plan that makes you literally feel like you'd never have to diet again. Even those periods of structured restriction when we are setting a time frame or we're setting a goal and we're going to attack a fat loss cycle we're doing it in a way where we're mitigating some of these effects we're using strategies like refeeds and diet breaks and listening to your biofeedback and periodizing things so that you don't have to live in that state forever and you don't have to worry about you know how am i going to come out of this or am i just going to soak up all of these excess calories when i want to binge my face off and i'm only saying that because i've been there and and it does get more difficult i've been on that. I was on that restrict and binge cycle for so long. I was a classic yo-yo dieter and it absolutely makes it more difficult for me now. Fortunately, I've done things the right way for long enough where my body is pretty happy. Um, so there is, you know, hope as far as repairing that damage. Um, an important study about this was the Minnesota starvation study, uh, which did show that most of those metabolic adaptations can be repaired even through those periods of extreme dieting. So there is a better way. The better way is understanding that you're an individual and not just following what somebody else is doing, not falling for the quick fix, um, the 30-day solution or whatever else is out there, um, doing things that align with who you are as a person that factor in your life, the things that are meaningful to you. Um, so I've been saying something lately that's just kind of stuck because as I've been working with so many people, the solution that comes up every single time is you. You are the answer. Like that is the movement that we're leading is you are the answer. We, you know, all the diets, all the the stuff that we've all tried, it always comes back to us. We are the answer. And that is why we lean so heavily on your personality type, you know, your the individual variables that make up your life, your day-to-day you know, the things that you like doing, or do you like to be more social? Do you like to travel? Do you take vacations? Like, what are the things that are meaningful to you? And that's why we start with the mindset side of things. We frame what consistency looks like for you. Like, these are all important factors so that we don't fall into these traps. Like, they're everywhere. The diet industry is very powerful and very persuasive. So we have to get this information out there. So that is why I wanted to do this episode all about metabolic adaptation and understanding the, the potential risks and some ways that we can just fight against that. And it all starts with understanding that you are an individual. You don't have to fall into that trap. You don't have to do things that way. There is a better way. So if you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and grab a screenshot, post it up on your stories, tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner and shoot me a DM. Let me know what you thought. And I'd love to hear from you guys. 
I will be back very soon and I will talk to you guys next time.